reading is from Luke chapter 5. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous, but I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. For the last several weeks, we've been taking kind of a helicopter view at what God is doing in the world and how it is he wants us to function in our little corner of the world, known here as, as Cave Creek. And we, I just want to review a little bit before I settle into this text that we've, we, we've looked at today, which you remember, you may have heard read before. Um, I want to settle, uh, settle in time, kind of stop and take an overall look at the surroundings, kind of a, a panoramic view of the panoramic view that we've been taking, okay? So as we think about ourselves as a church, as we move towards the fall season, really beginning to open up our arms of outreach and service to this community, let's remind ourselves of some of the things that really shape us and form us as we move forward. We see, first of all, that our statement is that we're called to be uh, living witnesses of God's new creation in Christ, as that we're called to faith in Christ, gathered as a community of love, and sent with hope for the world. These three things are things that we have been looking at over the course of this summer in one way or another. Perhaps you haven't quite realized that, but we have been doing that. We've talked about what it means to be called in faith and called to faith in Christ, gathered as a community of love, and sent with hope for the world. What do we mean when we're called to faith in Christ? What is it that we do where we, when we gather together as a community here? What is it that we're calling ourselves to do? We're called to faith in Christ. We want to be sure that we are following the Word of Christ, that we develop a, a way of looking at the world which is shaped by the Word of God, not shaped by what televangelists tell us or popular literature tells us or what the world tells us or what the TVs tell us, but rather about what the scriptures tell us about who we are in Christ. So we take time every time we gather to read the Word of God and to study the Word of God. We're called to follow the Word of Christ, and then we're committed to the worship of Christ. We looked carefully a few weeks ago about what it meant to have heartfelt worship as we consider what it means to offer to him our lives and our worship and listen to his word and celebrate the Lord's Supper, uh, that we're called to be a worshiping community, and we'll be growing in that as life goes forward as well, and that we are surrendered to the Spirit of Christ. We saw as we first began to look that the church wasn't born until the Spirit came upon them at Pentecost. And so as we are surrendered to the Spirit of Christ, committed to the worship of Christ, and following the Word of Christ, we express what it means to be called to faith in Christ. The second thing that we see is we're gathered as a community of love. The word ecclesia, of course, means those who are called and gathered and sent, okay? So we're gathered as a community of love. And we saw as we looked at Ephesians, in the overall look of it, that there are three important components of that as we're gathered as a community of love, that we don't follow Christ individually, but we follow Christ corporately, that when we make a commitment to Jesus, we become part of a family, the family of Jesus Christ, and that this is vital and fundamental to who we are. And so we're called to live together in unity 
to grow together in maturity and are made new together in purity. That's Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5. We looked at that a few weeks ago. And in some ways, if you think about this, living together in unity reminds us of the theme of love. Growing together in maturity reminds us of the theme of faith. We're called to build our faith in Jesus Christ. And made new together in purity is a way of bringing hope to the world, a world looking for hope. Okay? So we're gathered as a community of love. And that's why it's very important for us that we gather together in small groups together. And we'll be multiplying those as we move towards the uh, towards uh, throughout this next school year. And the third aspect of who we are as a community of faith, love, and hope, and we've been looking at that for the last couple of weeks, is we're gathered, uh, we're sent with hope for the world. We're sent with hope for the world. And that means that we want to be involved in sharing God's love, that is to, to show God's love to as many people and ex- sharing with them the good news of Jesus Christ and serving in Jesus' name and then living like God's new creation in the world. In many ways, the church is meant to be an outpost of the kingdom of God. We're meant to live in this world as if we belong to a different world. It's the world to come. What we believe is that when Jesus came and was raised from the dead, he established a new community. And we are called to be, uh, as the Matthew text we looked at the beginning of our time together today, we're called to, be, uh, uh, to, to, uh, to spread the authority of Jesus Christ over the world. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, that we looked at at the beginning, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost and and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even until the end of the world, which means end is the completion of the world, which we can interpret and say even until the new world. Jesus was saying in that text, I wish we had time to look at it more carefully, that by his crucifixion and resurrection, he assumed his rightful place as ruler of this world. All authority has been given unto me. It's about kingship. It's about the kingdom. He said before he died, the kingdom is coming and is among you, but now he's basically saying the kingdom is here. I want you to become my witnesses to the kingdom as you live through this world, teaching people to obey, and I will be with you even until the end of the age. So we are involved in that time of spreading the hope of Jesus Christ, living as God's new creation in a world of decay, okay, until the new creation of Christ. We're sent with hope. For the, for the world. So we say of ourselves, we are ecclesia, a community of faith, love, and hope. So I just want to remind you of that so you can have a feeling of what it is we're doing as a church as we try to uh, have a beachhead of ministry into this community. So what does it mean for us to share the love of Christ with our community? I just want to be very practical and take you back to a text that we looked at a long time ago. And don't, don't worry, I'm not going to give you the same thoughts I gave to you before. But I want you to look at this text from a different angle under the theme, friends don't like, no, excuse me, friends don't let friends miss Jesus. Friends don't let friends miss Jesus. Jesus. This is that great story where John, where, where, where the Levi held a party in order to introduce his friends to his new best friend, Jesus. 
And we're going to be doing some events over the next couple of months to introduce our friends and potential friends to Christ. And so we're going to take a careful look at this story one more time and look for some very practical help and practical insight into how we can have influence in our friends just like Jesus and Levi uh, and Levi did. And so let's look at the text together. Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 31. Here's the text for you. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the, excuse me, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not called to come the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We saw in the first time we looked at this that this is a very scandalous story. There was a scandalous invitation when, when Jesus invited Levi to become his follower. And that it was a scandalous party that Levi held with all the wrong people at it. And that it was a scandalous call that he made, a call sinners to repentance. And that it was a scandalous message, the message of grace, which... Um, uh, which Jesus provided for us. And this is a scandalous grace. So that's kind of how we see this story, that what we're doing, and, and it's fitting for us, and here we are meeting in a very unconventional place, you know, a local bar. So we have an appropriate way of looking at this story ourselves as we think about what does it mean for us to follow Jesus? What are some of the practical lessons that we can draw from this story? Okay, number one. The first thing we see is that Jesus invited Levi to follow him. He is walking along the road and he invited Levi to problem. The text says, go ahead, I'm gonna, you're going to go quick through some of this for me if you don't mind. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. The thing we want to realize about this is this. A personal invitation is the best way to meet and follow Jesus Christ. A personal invitation. All of the first disciples were called by personal invitation, some by Jesus himself, but some also by the first followers. They invited others to follow him. You know, Jesus was walking along in the Gospel of John, and he saw, uh, he saw John's, dis uh, John's disciple, whose name was also John, and invited him to follow him. And then John went and got his brother, James, and said, let's follow him. And Nathaniel, and Nathaniel found his brother, Peter, okay? Um, so a personal invitation, it's always been true. Yes, we want to use as many wide means as we can, you know. Yeah, we'll maybe have advertising. Yeah, we'll let people know, put signs out. But you know how much those really help? Very little. Our church will grow the same way the church got started, by personal invitation. So who are some of the people that you can invite to explore Christ and perhaps our church, Ecclesia? Well, think about your friends, or we might say your friends. Your friends, your relatives, your associates, your neighbors, okay? Yeah, I know it's kind of a play on the whole friends theme, but uh, your friends. You have friends, 
And you have relatives who might live in the neighborhood. Associates are people that you work with. And then neighbors. We want to take the time to offer a personal invitation to people for the following of Jesus Christ. So one of one of the things I think you want to think about is you should set a goal for yourself that every Sunday you make at least one invite. Hey, we have this church. Are you interested in coming? You know, you can ask people, what are your, uh, what's your spiritual background? Have you ever gone to church? Oh, I haven't. Well, we've got the perfect church for you. We meet in a bar. <laughs> you know, you've got a perfect opportunity, okay? And you might want to say we're having our opening day on September 16th. If you wait till September 13th to ask that question, you've probably waited too long. But right now, you can go to some people and you say, hey, we have this brand new church. We're starting meets up in the bar at the Buffalo Chip. You know about the Buffalo Chip? Yeah, yeah. They have bull riding on Friday, and we're starting a church up there in Cave Creek, and we're having our opening day on September 16th. Would you like to come? Oh. You know, people are often more likely to say yes to something farther away. Sure, I think I'd like to come. You see? Of course, if it's December, September 13th, you can ask that day, too. In fact, you can ask September 15th as well. But make a personal invitation. It's so, um, this is the secret of Facebook. It's the secret of marketing by Facebook. It's all an opt-in thing. I want to be your friend. Will you be my friend? Will you friend me? And so we get all these networks of so-called friends, and a lot of us bemoan the fact that it sort of diminishes the idea of friendship, you know. But the idea of that, and why is it that these, these massive corporations say, like us on Facebook? Why is it that you see this on television? Why? Are they that needy? <laughs> you know, what are they doing? They know that the most valuable advertising they can get is the individual opt-in that comes in, that becomes a powerful tool for them. So that's a use of a, that's maybe a secular use of a principle that's always been true. You know, when you have friends, when you're friends with someone, you develop interest in the things that they're interested in. Um, my uh, wife had a general interest in baseball before we met when we were 16 because baseball was a part of her family as well. They followed, uh, you know, some of the uh, sports teams in Chicago, the baseball teams in Chicago, and her father followed that as well. Um, but the fact that it was something that I was interested in became something that she became interested in, certainly. We develop interest in the things our friends, our friends are interested in. So um, don't be afraid to use the personal invitation. Be strategic about that, okay? So that's the first thing that we see. The second thing we see is that Le Levi left, every left everything so that he could follow Jesus. Levi left everything so that he could follow Jesus. In our text, look at the text. The text would say, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. That's a powerful, powerful image because he had a business. He basically saying he left his business. He had, a, he had a tax collector's booth. It's not really just that he said, uh, I'll come back here in about another 10 minutes or so. No, he left that business and for the next several years became a full-time follower of Jesus. See, the call that Jesus brings us to is not just a generic commitment in a general type of way, but a specific, life-changing type of, of, of commitment. So following Jesus is a full-time commitment. Well, what kind of action point does that give to us? One of the things that we need to admit to ourselves is that the greatest um, tool that God has for the spread of the gospel is individual believers 
but also the greatest hindrance that God has is individual believers. We're part of the problem and the solution. How many people don't really respond to Christ and they say, well, you know, I knew a Christian once. I, I knew, you know, we, we sometimes are our own worst enemies in terms of individual uh, following of Jesus. So we need to be willing to let go of those things that get in the way of following him. If we believe in the gospel, we should be willing to let go of everything that gets in the way. Uh, the song that we sang earlier, what good is it to gain the whole world but lose your own soul? You know, living for your glory. This is the way of peace and joy and satisfaction. Um, you know, um, so what must I abandon? And sometimes we have to abandon our fears. Sometimes we have to abandon our, our sense of they're not going to like me. We have to be willing to take a risk and to say, you know, my faith really matters to me. I'd like to share it with you, okay? Following Jesus is not a part-time commitment. It's a full-time commitment. All right, let's go to lesson number three. Levi brought his friends to meet Jesus. Levi brought his friends uh, to meet Jesus. What's the text say? And Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Oh, this is just a fascinating story, if you imagine it. Tax collectors were the most, among the most despised of all Jewish people. Levi, he's called, uh, he didn't go by Levi, he went by Matthew, you know, later. Um, uh, Levi was more of his Jewish name, uh, but he had abandoned his Jewish rights by becoming a tax collector, really. And, uh, and so he has this party where all of his friends come together, and he does what he can to bring his friends to, uh, to Jesus. So friends bring their friends to Jesus. See, the best way for us to impact people is to in, invite, in, introduce them to Christ and then help them to introduce their friends to Christ. If it all depends on the preacher or, you know, a certain few key people, it's just not going to happen, okay? But as we all work together to bring our friends, we can have a, a, a wide degree of influence. The web increases. The influence increases around us. Friends bring their friends uh, to Jesus. So uh, what's the action point that we can look at? How can I introduce my friends to Jesus? How can I introduce my friends to Jesus? One of the real problems is we, we don't have a real strong faith in Jesus ourselves. We don't, uh, we don't think in terms of how, much, how desperately our friends need Jesus. So how can I introduce them to Jesus? Be creative. I, you know, it's like Matthew sitting there and thinking, man, I got all these, all these friends, and, and, and I want to follow Jesus, but they're not going to want to go into the temple and the synagogue. They, they're not going to feel comfortable there. I'm going to have a party at my place, and I'm going to invite them and see. And I'm going to, you can imagine Matthew having to uh, screw up his courage to go to, imagine this. You're Matthew, and you're going to go talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, I got this idea. I want to have a party at my house. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it might be a little bit loud. The music might be kind of loud. Uh, the beverages might be kind of, you know, um, not appropriate. But I, I want to have my friends meet you. And I think it's the best way to do it. So I'd like to have a big party at my house. Invite all my, I know they'll come. But if I do that, will you come and just kind of hang out with them? Will you just come and do that? Matthew had to take a risk. You see? Matthew had to say, I wonder if Jesus would be willing to do that. And, of course, Jesus apparently says, sure, I'll be there. I'll be there, you know. We have to think creatively about what we can do. 
You know, there's a risk involved. Like, any number of us could have a Christmas open house at our house and invite our neighbors to come. We could say, hey, why don't you guys come over to our house for Christmas? You know, an open house, just get to know what you could do it. Why don't we? Because we don't like our neighbors? Well, maybe. <laughs> Mostly we're just into ourselves, don't think about it. We don't know our neighbors, we're insecure. We all know it'd be a great, do you agree it'd be kind of a great thing? Just have something at your house and say, hey, this one, you know, we should get to know another and it's the holiday season and we could do it. What, what stops us? Often we don't have an idea and secondly, we don't have the gumption to say, I want to try it, you see? Developing, and so we only show up at that neighbor's house, you know, hey, I want to share the gospel with you. Well, why didn't you want to know my name for the last five years, you see? Yeah. All right, so uh, let's go to the fourth one, okay? Religious types were offended by these Levi's friends. You see that in the story quite clearly. What the text says, when the Pharisees saw, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, that's to Jesus' disciples. I, I don't know if this is the way that it went, but okay. So we have the Pharisees complaining to the disciples, uh, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? It seems to me like, I'm imagining this party that there's a, you know, the really, the rambunctious people are right there in the middle. You know, they're all there, and Jesus is sitting in the middle of them. And I think the disciples are, they're kind of, they're not sure where to go. You ever been in a setting like that? You show up at a party, you're not sure where you should be, so you kind of stay just on the outskirts. Have you ever been in that situation? You know what I'm saying? You're just not sure where to be. And I imagine the disciples are, you know, they're with Jesus, but they're just not real sure because you know those Pharisees weren't in there, right? They were outside the house. So they probably had to go, hey, Peter. Because Peter's close to the outside of the house. I'm thinking, you know, Jesus is in the living room around the TV or around the bar or whatever's going on there. Peter and the disciples are kind of standing away. They're not sure. They're huddling in a small group at the edge. The Pharisees are on the outside, not wanting to get close. And so that's why they say to his disciples, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, they were having a struggle with this as well. Jesus breaks through those barriers so often. So, um, so the lesson for us is that bringing friends and with pagan, being friends with pagan types might make religious types uncomfortable. Being friends with pagan types. Now, we've talked about this before, and it's certainly true that sometimes our desire to be around so-called, I, I'm, I'm using the disparaging term because that's the way it is in the text, uh, our desire to be around tax collectors and sinners or so-called pagan types is because we're, we're not living very close to Jesus ourselves. And so we kind of can be influenced. So we're, uh, we have to be careful uh, as we follow this. But we need to be willing to be involved in the lives of people who are far from God. That's the story of the incarnation. God saw us far away from him, and he made the whole journey to us all the way to a stable outside of Bethlehem, becoming one of us. That's God came to those who are far from him. And he said after, when Jesus came, he reached out to people different than himself. And then when he was raised from the dead in John chapter 20 and verse 21, he said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So we're called to reach out to people who are very different from ourselves. So what's the action that we can think about? What risks must I take to reach out to my friends? What risks must I take? It might be the ask itself, or it might be just getting to know them, just saying, hey, you know, tell me. You know, one of the things that we, one of the mistakes we make is we think that witnessing is about giving answers. 
when in fact, lots of times, it's more about asking questions. It's about saying, hey, you know, I don't really know. What's your spiritual background? That's not a, that's not a difficult question to ask. You know, I'm curious. You were raised in the Catholic Church, but now you don't go. Why is that? You know, find it. Can I asking questions? Don't be judgmental and critical. Ask questions. Those are risks that you can take. And let's go to the final one. The fifth lesson that we see, Jesus was proud to be friends with Levi's friends. I know this is very simplistic, but I just want to be very practical. Jesus was proud to be friends with, Je- with Levi's friends. He said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There are really only two kind of people in the world, those who know they need Jesus and those who don't. That doesn't mean they're the, you know, the good and the bad people. The truth of the matter is, no matter how good we are, we're not really righteous unless we know we need Jesus. That's why we always make sure to observe the Lord's Supper, because it reminds us that we need Jesus. Jesus is coming not to those who think they've got it all together, but those who know they don't and believe that Jesus is the one who can provide the solution to, this, to their, their story, okay? Um, yeah, so what's the lesson that we might take from this? We should be friends with outsiders just as Jesus was, just as Jesus was, you know. Um, make it your goal in your work setting to be friendly to those around you, to get to know them, to develop an interest in them and their needs and do what Jesus did as Jesus did it. We should be friends with people. Um, so many Christians think that they're the better Christian that they are, the fewer non-Christian friends they have, but that they don't get that from Jesus. They don't get that from Jesus at all. Um, but sadly, most of the time, people, um, the, the closer they get with Jesus, the farther they get from people who need Jesus, and that is not the Jesus way. All right? So what would be my action point? What can I learn from the people in this story? There are three kinds of people in this story. First of all, there are tax collectors. Like tax collectors, I need Jesus' loving acceptance. These tax collectors who thought that their behavior had put them outside of God's mercy now found God's mercy coming to them in the person of Jesus. I don't know what kind of story you're living in right here today, But the truth of the matter is, God's grace comes to every person, no matter where we are, so long as we know we need Him. That's the real issue. He came to call sinners, not the so-called righteous. The second kind of people in this story are the Pharisees. And like the Pharisees, I may need Jesus' loving challenge to say, hey, you've got a bad attitude. Watch the way you treat people and think about people? How do you respond to the person very different from you, whose economic status is not the same as yours, who doesn't drive like you wish they drove on the car in front of you? You know, isn't it crazy? We reveal our true heart in those settings. I hate that when I see that about myself. I don't care who that person is. I care that they're in my way. See, that's the Pharisee idea. I may need Jesus' loving challenge. And then next, like the disciples, I need Jesus' loving example so that I can begin to be giving myself for people as Jesus gave himself for me. Well, as we consider all of this, 
we have, of course, Jesus' example there, you know, at the buffalo chip of his day, uh, Matthew's house. But we have a greater example when Jesus went on a hill outside Jerusalem and he gave his life. He identified with sinful people so much. Here's a verse that I hope you know. It's called 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God has made him who knew no sin to become a sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Yeah, Jesus identified with sinful people there at Matthew's home. But on that hill outside Jerusalem, not only did he identify with them, he became sin for us. Our sin, the sins of all of humanity were placed on him. So that same Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. So let's lay down our lives for our friends. Because Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Let's reflect on this as we observe the Lord's Supper together. Father, we're thankful that Jesus was willing to do whatever was necessary for us to become his followers. We have a great opportunity here at our church as we think about the fall season. Help us to be creative, to take risks, to really care about people because that's what you did for us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.